This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's Charlie, actually. Oh, uh, you said Jimmy. Well, so uh, you, you would know from being from the area, right? So it's it's an old joke. Um, you know, like the little candies that they put on ice cream, right? So, yeah. in, you know, this this part of the country, they're called Jimmy's. And pretty much everywhere else, they're called sprinkles. Um, so it's just an old joke from when I was a kid, you know, Jimmy Sprinkle. And so that's kind of my name on most social network uh, platforms and stuff like that. It's actually even my username, like in Google and all that. Um, it was actually my name on Facebook until recently. But, you know, the confusion was kind of getting annoying. So uh, my name yeah. is actually Charlie. But, yeah, so that's where that comes from. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I had no idea. I just and I'd see that you know on Skype the name Charles at the bottom and you know right. Jimmy. He's like, okay, well that just could be his name, <laughs> middle name. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe your name's James. You know, middle name's right. James or some shit. I don't know. Right. <clears throat> so and yeah, you know, I see the Phillies hat. You know, and we already kind of talked for like a minute. You know, we met on TikTok. Um, you know, we're both yeah. from the same area. I'm from right outside of Philly in South Jersey. Like literally, there's a sign like Camden, two miles in my town. Yeah, right. that's that's where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. So I lived in Jersey for like two years. I lived in uh, Delanco, so it's like, you know, it's like eight miles from the Tacony Palmyra Bridge. It's like right in, it's right along the river in between the Tacony Palmyra and the Burlington Bristol. Oh, I know exactly um, where Delanco. Yeah, I used to go to my my doctor. I used to doctor shop at was a town over in okay. Merchantville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I know I know that area. <laughs> from going yeah. there every 28 days for my shady doctor. <laughs> um, so you you were in Jersey for a little bit. Um, how long have you been sober for? So my clean date is uh, February 20th of 2020. Uh, so I just had like 21 months yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not my first time around. Um, you know, it took me the better part of 10 years to get this time that I have now. Um you know, I've had, you know, little stints here and there um, of clean time. But um, this is my, you know, for me, this is my most significant clean time because there's actually a program behind it. Um, you know, it's not just white knuckling it or yeah. or anything like that. You know, I actually have a sponsor and, you know, um, you know, I work a 12-step program and, you know, I have, you know, the majority of my friends are in recovery, um, pretty much all of them, honestly. Um so yeah, like so, this is my most significant clean time because there's actually something behind it. You're actually doing something with it. Exactly. You know what I mean? You're you're not you're not just white and white knuckle on it is a horrible thing because you don't know why you're so miserable because you're not actually working on yourself. 
exactly. You, and you're just like, I might as well just go drink or get high because <laughs> I'm miserable anyway. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's a good thing that you're working. It's funny that yours is 220 because I just had somebody on that was 225 of 2020, and my wife and I are both 229 2020. Yeah, I remember. So I remember, there's uh, been a few. That. Yeah, I remember seeing that something when we first when we first connected. Um, you know, I think you had told me that you know our clean dates were similar. That's right. You know, it's it might have been in our bio. It's in my bio on TikTok, yeah. and also there was that trend for a minute, like drop your clean dates in the comments. So maybe we saw similar dates in the comments okay. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, for all I know. So you know, you correct me when you not correct me. I said sober. You said clean. So that means you had drug choices more than alcohol. Or was alcohol also a part of it? No. So for me, um, I've never really been a drinker. So, you know, my mom was a, a, a vicious alcoholic when I was growing up. Um, so I kind of stayed away from alcohol. Um, and, you know, I stay clean because of the 12-step fellowship that I'm involved in. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And we don't have to even so, say which one out of tradition's sake, you know. But, you know, and I understand what Jimmy means instead of, you know, Bill. So that's all we have to really say. Right. You know? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I totally get that. Um, now, but what were you clean from? What was your drug of choice? Uh, so my drug of choice for the majority of my life, I mean, look, you know, I, I think it's pretty much with everybody, right? Like I started smoking weed when I was a teenager. Um, but you know, as soon as I found opiates, um, at about 21, um, it was just, what year is that? So I'm 42. So, um, oh, you know, so 21 for me was like around 2000, uh, 2001, right around there. Um, I had a work injury. Uh, I broke a couple of ribs. And they were um, happy and, to give you oxy then. Of course. Yeah. So back then, um, you know, they gave me a, actually they gave me a script of the, the yellow tens, the, the buses and, uh, you know, sent me home with them. You are and, from my uh, area. I've told yeah. that to other people. Um, they're like, you called them what? I'm like, they were school buses or they were bananas, depending on the size okay. of them. That's right. like, I never that's heard right. that. And I haven't heard buses in forever until you just said that. So that's how I know we're from. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So they gave you the tens first. And obviously you yeah. were like, hey, doc, this isn't touching my pain. Well, honestly, I, I really I had very limited experience with any kind of opiates, any kind of Percocet or anything like that. Um, you know, at that time I had experimented, you know, with with, you know, marijuana and you know i'd taken ecstasy a handful of times and stuff um but as soon as they gave me those um you know i fell in love um and you know it took a few years for it to really start to get out of hand you know i kind of just dibbed and dabbed for a while but um probably about two or three years is when it really started to you know it had its grips on me um and uh you know, that went, you know, the oxys at that time were, were around and, um, you know, so I got in pretty heavy with those. Um, Did you watch Dope Sick? You know, I'm sorry? Did you watch Dope Sick? Yeah, so it, me and my fiance are watching it. Um, we're like one or two episodes behind, so don't say anything. But, uh, you got it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a, I mean, listen, like I was saying, we, I was at a friend's last night, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, we got clean together like four years ago and uh, we reconnected a, a little over a year ago and he just celebrated his year on Wednesday. Uh, so That's we awesome. were over his house. Um, 
So we were talking about it and like, I, I knew a lot of that stuff, you know, that, that was going on. I'd, I'd seen a documentary a yeah. few years ago about it. HBO but, uh, did a documentary recently too about it. Yeah. But it's cool to see it, you know, personalized, you know, and, and from what I read, um, you know, they took a, uh, took from a handful of different stories and kind of, you know, that's where they, they came up with the show, but the show's, the show's really well done. I think. Um, yeah, me too. I and, think so you know, too. It's got a you know a lot of good actors, um, and yeah, so um, yeah, so it's yeah, because def- you know, yeah, because and why I brought that up and why it's relevant is because in that time of you getting oxy, it wasn't a hard thing to get. You know, not, you doctors were being encouraged heavily absolutely. to push it. Yeah. Like so, you know, it was an, not a hard thing to get if you showed an injury on if you had any kind of X-ray or CAT scan. They're like, "Here you go, sir." Yeah. So, you know, it took a couple of years now, and you're still working, but you're just taking it every day. And I'm sure it sounds you dip and dap. It means like some weekends or here and there, you take a couple extra. Then, so when was it when you stopped like taking a couple extra and your script's gone in five days? Well, see, I wasn't really getting them prescribed to me. I was uh, pretty much always a guy that was buying them on the street. I had that injury. They sent me home with a script with no refills, but that kind of kicked off for me. Um, Uh, I see. I had had a lot of friends that, you know, were in that situation, right, that were were getting it for, you know, work injuries or chronic pain and stuff like that. And and, um, so there was this, like, older woman who, you know, didn't know anything about anything, right? She was from the suburbs. She didn't know anything about the streets or anything like that. And at the time, I was selling weed. Um, and she, I can't remember the exact uh, disease or affliction that she had, but, you know, she was getting 90 80s a month. And she didn't like them. She didn't like the way that they they made her feel. She didn't like, you know, the constipation and all that stuff, right? But uh, for her, marijuana worked. <laughs> Who does? So she didn't know anything, and she had uh, approached me because she used to buy weed from me, right? So she had approached me about, oh, hey, do you think that you could sell these things for me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, yeah, of course I can. So what yeah. I was doing was I was trading her a QP of pot every month for her script, and you know she would keep the one so that when she went back to the doctor, it was in her system. Um, so I was getting 89 80s a month. Um, and you know, of course they weren't lasting, you know, obviously. Um, yeah, so that, I, you know, probably around, uh, you probably only sold like 20 of them and the rest I didn't you- sell any of them, JD, not a single <laughs> one. Um, because yep. for me, you know, I, listen, I wasn't like some, you know, kingpin pot deal or nothing like that. Right. Like I was selling to a handful of people and basically was just selling enough so that I didn't have to pay for my own, right? Um, so yeah, you get a pound, you sell a quarter of it. You, exactly. you sell you sell two quarters, you get a half pound for free, kind of deal. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and especially like, and I and I used to get scripts too, and I would be really relentless on on selling any of them because what would be the point of the right. insan- It would be just literally the definition of insanity. Hey. I'm going to sell you a pill for 30 and then in two weeks when I am withdrawn because I am out of pills that I just sold, I'm going to buy a pill from you for 30 bucks. And no, it's a fucking insanity. I'm going to need these. I'm going to do them and I'll hit you up when I have money in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So I never, 
Um, I don't think I ever sold one, honestly, um, because at that time, you know, I was messing with the thirties, um, and you know, she just kind of brought it to me and it was like, um, so right before that, before I, I gotten involved with her, um, I had, it wasn't long before it was the first time I ever took an oxy and I, I want to say it was a 20 and you know, at that time I was messing with thirties and, and the, you know, the buses and stuff like that. And I thought, well, you know, you know, it's 20 milligram oxy, you know, no big deal. And I was mangled, you know what I mean? Because them oxys hit different. Right. So, yeah. um, when I got, and those, you also withdraw a lot faster too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. They hit different and for not as long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that was when, you know, I think that was when the real, you know, decline, um, you know, the, the progression into, you know, the grips of addiction, like that's when it really started to get out of hand. Um, when it wasn't just, you know, a dibbing and dab and it wasn't just a weekend thing. It wasn't, you know, a couple of times during the week, it was every single day. Um, and you know, I, I do like you, you mentioned withdrawal. I remember at that time was the first time I really experienced withdrawal. Um, and not really knowing what that was, right? And not really knowing what that looked like or felt like. And, you know, not having a full grasp or understanding that that's even what it was, right? A lot of people I talk to, including myself, fit this category of I learned what withdrawal was the second time it happened. And yeah. then I had the epiphany of what happened the first time. That's 100% like, true. <laughs> like Absolutely. when it happened for me, it was like six months later and I was withdrawing again. And I was like, oh, shit, that's what that's what was happening to me that one time in July. You yeah. know, like it Absolutely. hit me. So and I talked to other people. They said the same shit. So yeah. it's just so that's it's not funny. It's just it just shows you we all have so much in common along the way that we don't even realize, you know, um, and especially are you injecting or are you snorting? So it uh, or eating or eating them because I doubt you're eating them. No one was fucking eating them, really. So when I first got involved, like when I first started messing around with the Percocets and stuff like that, I was eating them. Yeah, the tens you eat, the tens you should right. eat. If you harm reduction, do not snort tens. It's a fucking waste of a pill. <laughs> <laughs> like don't don't do it. It's gross. But so, uh, when yeah. I when I first, the first time I ever got them from her, I remember I broke uh, I, I broke one and I ate a half right, and that was right around the time when they were coming out with the time release. But, um, you know, when like that was all you could get. Right. But of course, 2009. You know, yeah. Right. That was, well, yeah. So I guess it was right. It was right before they really started, um, with all, they were all time release, right? The first time I got them from her, they weren't. So I broke one in half yep. and I ate it. And yeah, then, we just looked this up being somebody else on here. It was 2009, I think, is when they started doing it. They were like, hey, we're going to be releasing these now, you know, the gel ones that can't break up and snort. Um, and then anybody that was still getting real ones, because the difference was it said OC or it said OP. That's how you knew which kind it was. And the OCs, they started, the only time you got them is if your pharmacy had an influx of them. And they were able to get rid of them through the pharmacy because they were only sending out. So within like a year, two years for sure, there was no more real OCs and only the time release. And I would still buy the time release ones here and there because they were way cheaper than 30s. 
because they were time released now, but they were good to get me through withdrawals without having to use suboxing because I didn't like using subs. At least right. with the time release, I know I'm getting a little bit every hour, you know, and there's at least something in me. I'm not getting to, to the moon, but at least I'm not going to be withdrawing for a day or two while I wait until my dude gets more of his script to 30s again. Because I like 30s. I didn't like dope. I, I like 30s. And we called them. Um, were you from Jersey or Philly? So I was from Philly. I born and raised. I only lived okay. in, in Jersey for like two years. And that we was... called them. We called them John's. I know everyone calls everything John's, but in South Jersey, and I've talked to three different people that I didn't know, but have been on my show or whatever, and they're all from the same area just because I met them from different random places, and they called them John's too. So I know that it's not just my guy's way of saying it, that there's multiple people around at least the South Jersey area that called them John's and not blues or anything. Like, it was blues here and there if it was somebody new, but... Usually, I even said Jays most of the time because I didn't okay. even want to say Johns. I'm like, hey, you got me Jays because I didn't want to write blues or anything to have it. If a cop picked up a phone, Jays, what the hell is a J? You right. know, like it looks like a joint maybe or something I could like lie about. But that's that's what I would start to write. Um, did you guys call him Johns? No, we, I mean, we, you know, being from Philly and, and you know, being from. Um, you know, I grew up in, I don't know if you know, I, I grew up in Frankfurt area, right? So um, we call everything else, John, you know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, remote, right? the remote, the soda, anything that's around, and anything. And, yeah. so, and so do we. It's just, uh, I think that we said blues so much that it became also the term for that. So right. it's like, hand me the John for the John, which is <laughs> hand me the straw so that I can put this okay. pill inside the straw. See, that, that's funny because, um, like, we called blues Xanax were blues. Um, we never we called, called them footballs. Yeah, we, we never footballs. Yeah, we never really called. I mean, no one I knew um, called thirties blues. We called, you know, we called uh, Xanax blues. So, the, the, yeah, the point five. Yeah, we called them footballs, and then yeah. the other ones were bars, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just so funny that just across the bridge. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I, I lived in Massachusetts and North Carolina and I lived in PA, too, and I still do now. Um, and everyone has different terms for everything. Like, I remember I was smoking with somebody up in Mass and we were, you know, smoking inside the car with the windows up. And he said, oh, yeah, we're fishbowling it. And I said, what? And I said, we're baking it out. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, hot box, bake, you know, baking it out. He's like, no, we call it a fishbowl up here. And the other thing that threw me off was, what do you call it when, like, you know, or what did you call it, did you, if uh, you were smoking a blunt and it was only burning on one side? Boating. Boating, exactly, with an N. Boating with an N at the end, right. not boating. Boating. Right. Um, in Mass, they called it canoeing, which is a form of a boat, which is okay. funny to me because it's a form of a boat, but we're just, like, dumbed down. We're, like... Boating. <laughs> it's, like, it's not even going to give you the G. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's just funny you said it exactly the way that I always say boating. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll get, we can go off on rants and all the random shit from our area, man. It's just, it happens real fast. All right. So let's, let's catch up now. Now you're getting these, are, is eventually she gets changed over to the OPs, right? Yeah. So, and then, um, you still giving uh, her a quap for an 89 OPs? 
No, right? no. So, so once when it changed over to the OPs, um, I think it was only maybe two or three times that I still got them from her, and I, I don't know for a hundred percent sure, but I think someone else in her life. Um, you know, figured out like she told somebody else, and this other person was like, "Like you're getting ripped off, right?" Yeah. Um, and uh, but you would have been getting ripped off though if it would have continued. True. True. You would end up in. <laughs> right. Um. But then you know I was making um. You know after being around you know like like look I was selling weed for like a couple years at this point. Um. You know I was still buying other stuff from other people. Still buying you know the oxys from other people and, and other stuff. So I kind of, you know, gained a bunch of other connections. Um, so when she said that, I was like, well, you know, basically you stick them up your ass, right? Like I, I, you know, whatever, I just stopped dealing with her. Um, and I just kind of went back to the thirties at that time. Um, you know, I would get tens or fives here and there. Um, but you know, also at that time, um, like right around, I guess it was, 2010 or 2011. Um, so my dad had had uh, surgery to remove kidney stones, right? And in the surgery that was done, they they did nerve damage. Um, so he was essentially bedridden. He had a hospital bed in his living room in his apartment, um, and they prescribed him every single set that you could name, right? Um, and he went through the entire gamut and, and I stole every single one of them. Right. Um, so, you know, he literally went through every type of pain pill that I've ever heard of and they would, you know, they would work for a couple of months and then he would, you know, he'd get a tolerance and, and they would stop working and, you know, then they would put him on something else and it was, Oh, this one works great. And then it would stop working. Right. So it eventually got to the point where, um, they had him on morphine, right? So they had him on the time-release morphine, and then uh, I want to say they were the 100 milligram, and then he also had the the 10 milligram breakthrough. So they were the tiny little pills for breakthrough pain. Um, and he got to a point where they had stopped working, and you know he was essentially out of his mind, right? Like, you know, taking morphine every day and, and he was like losing his mind. Um, and one day he just said, you know, the hell with these. And so he, you know, he had a in, he had an in care, you know, in-home nurse, right? So, you know, doing the, the, the home health care, my aunt was doing it and me and my brother were helping out. Um, and I was over there helping out, right? And he dumped the, the rest of the script into the trash can. Um, and you know, my eyes light up. Right. So, you know, very shortly after that, you know, within probably a half hour or something like that, I'm like, let me take care of this trash for you. Let me take this out. Right. And I'm literally out in the parking lot of his apartment complex, digging through the trash bag to get these pills out. Right. Um, were they and, out of the bottle? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But I get it. I get it. Cause like, you know, it's, it, I get it. I I probably yeah. would have done the same shit, you know. Yeah. So it, it just sucks. It's so it'd be so easy, man. Just reach in, you grab the bottle, and you and you 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 put some tissues in there. This way, he doesn't hear him rattling around when you walk back in the house. Nah, you gotta like pocket these like fucking M and M's that fell on the ground and put them in your pocket. Fuck. All right. So, um, so you anyone know, that see was you? Enough. No one I'm saw sorry. you. No one saw you. Like 
like no, fucking way, raccoon, way. raccooning through this trash bag for <laughs> like fucking. So the lucky thing was. <laughs> Um, he dumped them in the trash can that was right next to his hospital bed. So it was a small little trash can. Um, and then I took that bag and put it in the big bag, uh, you know, like the kitchen trash. Yeah, so when I took yeah. it outside, the, where the dumpster was, you know, there was like a surrounding. So I was able to just kind of pull the small bag out. I still had to dig through some, you know, nasty stuff. But still, yeah, some tissues and much shit. Easier, much yeah. easier. And it's a lot better than your chances of like, some old ketchup on a fucking paper plate or a napkin in the trash can. You you would get that in the kitchen one, but the one next to the bed, you're going to get some tissues and shit, whatever. It's your dad's. It's same germs. Totally get that, dude. You know? So I totally get that. So, but he he just like, fuck it. And it's just like, I'll just deal with whatever. Like, yeah, I'm so not... He went through a really bad withdrawal because I don't think, you know, he realized what, what, all that meant, you know, he wasn't. And you, you know, couldn't dad, tell him, could you? You couldn't be like, hey, no. hey, dad, I know for sure that you're going to be feeling really uncomfortable soon because, like, no. then you'll be out in yourself, right? Absolutely. Because they don't know that you're doing pills all the time right now. Um. So the, there, there's, you know, there's there's people in my family that, you know, they have ideas, and but there's no concrete, you know, kind of yeah. evidence at, at this yeah. time, right? Uh, Cause yeah. at this time, you know, I, I have a house, um, you know, I was dating somebody, you know, I had a job like, you know, so it wasn't, um, that's what I mean. You were keeping up appearances. You were functioning exactly. like, yeah, exactly. maybe, 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 um, he gets high a little bit here and there, you know, he parties here and there, you know, it's whatever he's in his twenties, thirties, he has a house, he's responsible, yeah. but they don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't really understand the depths of it. So, and that's um, when it's dangerous for us, man. Cause I, that was me. A lot of my family, you know, they watch my show now and they're like, holy shit. I didn't know. I, you, you know, I'm really candid. I'm open up. Like, I can't believe that was your, your life. Cause like now I'm like telling all, but you know, I was really like, keep it all to the chest. I go to work. I have a house. I, you know, but I'm going to be functioning the entire time. So, yeah. like, I wasn't going to do heroin. I was going to do my 30s and go to my job. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's how I was, you know, uh, you know, for the most part at, at that time. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I, I had a really good couple of days with those, you know, with those uh, those morphine pills. And um, and then when I remember that that was by far the worst withdrawal that I ever dealt with. Um. So after they ran out, right, um, and I didn't, you know, at that time, I didn't fully understand, um, you know, the, the real difference between, like, morphine and anything else, right? Because morphine is on a whole nother level, right? So uh, I remember after the, you know, they ran out, and it was, you know, going on, like, to the next day or whatever, and, you know, I started feeling it, right? Um, and I went and grabbed a couple of thirties. Like I grabbed four, right? I, I remember this like it's yesterday. I grabbed four thirties. I went home and I crushed up two of them and, you know, I ran them and it did absolutely nothing. Like I didn't, it, it was no relief at all from the withdrawal. I didn't feel any type of high whatsoever from that. And I was like, damn it. Right. So I run the this other episode team. is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. 
I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. And again, it did absolutely nothing. And that really scared me at that point, right? Because at that point, I knew what withdrawal was, but it was like, that was when it kind of hit me like, oh, these morphine pills are a lot stronger than what you've been messing with, like even the oxys, right? So, um, yeah, I really went through it at that time. Um, you know, I didn't sleep for, you know, like two days or three days. It was well, really. And it's different chemicals too, right? So yeah. it's, it's like there are different compounds. So it's different reactions to your body. You're withdrawn from something different. You mm-hmm. know, it's almost like a Hail Mary at that point to hope that, all right, I hope that this other drug makes me feel good enough that I won't feel this pain. Because for all you know, the Roxy's worked. They did what they had to do. It's just that the other pain was so substantial, it didn't mean shit. It's yep. almost like for somebody who drinks a 30-pack while they're on acid, they're not drunk at all, but the beer is in their system, and they're going to blow a, a high blood alcohol if they're ever pulled over. But they're not going to appear drunk whatsoever because of the acid in their body. Yeah, you know, like I, my one of my best friends, I, one time he slammed like forty beers in a, in a trip, in like a twelve hour trip. He took down like forty beers, sober as a fucking judge when it comes to how he was like walking and talking and being coherent. But I watched him take down more than a case in a, in a sitting. <laughs> and that was like the confirmation of like I've seen this dude hammered a hundred <laughs> times, so like I know he would be drunk by now. So yeah, I that that was all the proof I needed that. But it's the same difference though. Like one's not going to. It's worth a shot because it could. Yeah, and that's, and that's yeah. exactly it. Basically, was what you're saying, right? It was just like a hope and a dream, right? Like, uh, you know, hopefully this will help. You know, with and what's four going. is the magic number with John's too. When you get them, like you get four, you know that you're going to get a decent high. Like right. at least if you're us at that point yeah. where you're doing, you know, doing three, four, I'm imagining, you know, you probably, they were 25 bucks a piece at the time. So you buy four cause you go to ATM and just grab out a hundred real quick. Yep. You know? So I, I totally get that. I started getting five when they went to 30 cause I would take out 150 from the ATM. Right. And then right. next thing you know, I'm doing fucking like eight a day. You know what I mean? It yeah. just. Um, yeah. So, yeah, now you do that. You do the four. It's doing nothing. What do you do then? Just sit and wait it out. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, so at that time, like I said, I, you know, I was dating somebody and, you know, and she had ideas. She, you know, kind of knew, you know, basically what was going on, but, I, you know, didn't still understand the full extent of it. Um, so, you know, I'm telling her I'm sick. Um, which of course she's not buying. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I just sat in it for, you know, like two, two and a half days. I didn't sleep, you know, uh, you know, all the, you know, the whole, the full gamut, right. The sweats, the cold, the, the throwing up, the, 
uh, diarrhea, the, you know, drinking water and that going right through you, you know, either one or two ends. Right. So, I mean, that was like a, that was, like I said, that was the worst withdrawal that I've ever experienced. Um, Oh yeah. Pissing is on them. People talk about shitting problems all the time, like in the groups on Facebook. And it's funny. It's not funny, but it kind of is. Sometimes people make jokes about how bad it was. Um, but the pissing people don't really ever talk about, but like I maybe pissed once or twice a day when I was really bad on pills, you know, I would forget and be like, Oh wait, I didn't pee today. Or I, it'd be like 11 o'clock at night and be like, I haven't pissed since 6am. I should probably do that. And like, just go and do it. And it would take a solid 90 seconds for piss to even start coming out. Because, yeah. like, my body is just so shut down and so, like, laxed <clears throat> that all of a sudden now when you're, you know, clean or not clean, but, like, you're withdrawing and going through it, you're pissing 20 times and you think you have a bladder. In fact, you know what I mean? You're constantly yeah. in the bathroom. So yeah. it's definitely one of two ways for sure. Like, you, the well's off or the well doesn't shut the fuck off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, you get through those days. She's obviously on to you. Does she say anything again? Um, no, she, you know, she had, you know, kind of uh, inclinations and, and, you know, I'm telling her I'm sick. Oh, I must have got the flu or something like that. But she knows better. Um, but, you know, so she didn't really say a whole lot, but she also just like didn't really help me in any way. Right. Like she wasn't like, you know, let me get you something to drink. You want soup or, you know, she just kind of let me, you know, stew in it. Um, but you know, as soon as the withdrawals were over, you know, like we do, right. I went right back to it. Um, you know, I went right back to getting high, right back to using, right back to my same old ways, you know, with the thirties and stuff. And, uh, right after that, when my dad, you know, decided he didn't want the morphine anymore. So at that point, the next, uh, the next thing that they ended up giving him was the fentanyl patches. Um, and that was when they were. They weren't like the, like, say, nicotine patches. They were the ones that had, like, that, that pouch with the gel in it. Um, so he had them for a few months until they moved on to, like, the nicotine-type patches. Um, and this is also the time, like, you know, I lost my job uh, because, you know, things were getting out of hand. Um, you know, and, and and things started getting really, really bad. Um, and like, this is also, were you late to work because you had to meet your guy or something like that? Like, that's happened to me where, like, I would go in late to work or I would call out of work because I knew yeah. that I wasn't going to make it through the day or like, well, I, Hey, I can't make it until noon today. I had an emergency, but really it's because my dealer said he won't be good till 11 <clears throat> and so, I don't want to even face, you know, work. Right. Yeah. So I had, yeah, that, that's, I, I, you know, a bunch of call outs. Um, and also, um, you know, at that time, like, um, you know, my, my stepson at the time, he would have football practice. So I would come home from work and I would take him to football and I would drop him off. And then I would go and run and do my thing and grab what I needed, whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my girl at the time, like she would fall asleep pretty early. So I would be up all night, right? Like I'd be up using all night and then I would go to work the days that I did actually show up. Right. I'd go to work and then I'd go out in my car. Uh, I had a union job, right. And I'd go out in my car I was in the Teamsters Union and I would go out in my car on, on my hour lunch break and I would fall asleep in the car. And sometimes like my boss would have to come out and like, you know, knock on the window like, yo, Tal, it's been, you know, an hour and 20. Like, you got to get back in here. And, um, 
you know, it eventually got to the point where uh, I kind of saw the writing on the wall because, you know, my boss was really cool and he would like let us know when the drug tests were coming and he didn't tell me. So another employee had told me and I was like, well, that's not a good sign. Right. And, um, you know, I ended up just quitting. I ended up, well, actually I ended up just not showing up one day. Um, and I just didn't, you know, I just didn't go. Um, is that doing construction? No. So I was, uh, at that time I was working for, it was, um, an HVAC and refrigeration, um, like wholesale warehouse. Okay. Uh, because you know all the drivers were on the Teamsters Union, so the where you know the warehouse guys were too. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, so, so that yeah. happened. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and then yeah, um, yeah, so I walked away from that, and then um, so my aunt at that time, she was having some health problems too, so I kind of became my dad's full time um, you know, caretaker, right. Which, you know, didn't pay a lot of money, but, you know, I got to do what I wanted essentially. Right. Um, because I would just go over his house and, you know, make him something to eat, make sure he was comfortable and then just chill. And he was so, uh, kind of out of it, you know, between the pain and, and, and the, you know, array of drugs that he was on, um, you know, it was really easy for me. Right. Um, but that was when, you know, I started, started taking his fentanyl patches. Right. Um, and you know, I, I looked up, you know, I didn't know anything about fentanyl, right. I don't think most of us at that time really did. Um, was this so like 2013, looked, 2014. Yeah. So this is like 12 or 13. Yeah. Probably 13, right around there. Um, Cause I, I know somebody that did yeah. what you're about to do, like with his grandfather, I think it was either way <clears throat> where he took his fentanyl patches and, looked it up because he had to google it how to yeah. smoke how to did you smoke it no so that's, so that's what I, he did when it was the pouches um i guess it was just you know what you know maybe we just how i looked it up right so i looked it up and i found uh somebody i think it was on a reddit you know stream or whatever uh, uh, uh on a reddit and someone had said like you know you can cut the hole you can cut like the end of it and you can just kind of squeeze the gel in your mouth and I was like, mm, all right, so I'll try that, right? So the first time that's what I did, I tried it and, you know, like nothing else, right? Um, and then, you know, the, the those with the gel inside didn't really last very long. It was only maybe two months or three months. And then they switched him over to the ones that were more like the nicotine patches. Um, but again, you know, look it up and you find out that, um, you know, there was a bunch of different things, right? So, um, I would, you know, so they were a hundred milligram and they would last for 72 hours if you used them the right way, if you put them on your skin. Right. So, um, I would, I would put one on my heart. I would put one on my arm and then the other ones I would cut in strips and snuff them. Right. Um, so I'm getting that constant you know, stream through my body with them on my skin, but then I'm also snuffing them and I ended up, uh, ODing on them. Um, and I passed out in my dad's bathroom, um, hit my head on the sit on the toilet. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was, you know, that was a, a rough time. Um, yeah, cause he's bedridden. How does you, did you wake come to eventually? I did, but he, he was able to get up and move around a little bit, um, but not much. 
but uh, he came, I had locked the door. So he had come to the bathroom and I just remember him like hearing him like yelling my name and like kind of beating on the door. And I came to, and, you know, I had a, a mark on my face and, uh, you know, I get up and I open the door and he's like, you know, what the hell are you doing in here? And I was like, oh, I don't feel good. And I was throwing up and blah, blah, blah. So, and he didn't, you know, he, he knew some things, but he really, you know, he was sick. Uh, right. Right. And, you know, he was kind of out of it, you know, a lot of the time because he was on the fentanyl too. And, um, probably, you know, being over prescribed, um, you know, so yeah, so that was, that was, that was pretty rough. Um, and then, you know, that, that went on for a while and I was still, you know, using other things and, and, uh, you know, still, I, you know, had got, I had about a year or so when I, I really fell in love with Adderall also. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry, let me just go back for one second. So the first time I think that I really realized that I was an addict, it was the end of 2011. Um, and it was my first attempt of, of going to treatment, right? Oh, okay. So, um, I, I tried to commit suicide because things had gotten just so crazy, right? Um, so <clears throat> before that, uh, a friend of my girlfriends at the time, you know, I was trying to kick it home, right? I was trying to, you know, kick the habit at home and I, you know, I'd gotten some stuff and, you know, came up with this plan of weaning myself off and everything. Um, and a friend of hers had said, Hey, give him one of these. It'll help take the edge off of the withdrawal. And it was a Xanax, right? And I didn't like Xanax. I had only taken Xanax, like, I think one or two times when I was a teenager, had bad experiences with it. And I didn't like it at all. Um, so I did that. And within a couple of months, I was eating 20 to 25 blues a day. Um, you know, having entire days and, you know, half days just completely missing. Um, yeah. you were and not that, the person to say that and you won't be the last, like that right. missing time of like days on end where you look back now and you're like, I would love to tell you about it, but right. Xanax. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, you know, one story, like I, at that time I, I was working, uh, for this, uh, property management company and, uh, I came in to work and we had gotten a, a shipment of sod, right? So it came on pallets. It was like 12 or 14 pallets of sod. And when I pulled into the yard, they were just everywhere. Right. And I'm like, you know, what the fuck, right? So I go into the office and I'm like, yo, who did this? Like, who just put this everywhere? And the the other supervisor went, you did. And I looked at the paperwork and I had signed for it and I had no recollection of doing that. So I was using an outdoor forklift, taking, you know, pallets of sod off of a flatbed truck and had zero recollection of that even happening. Um, so I think that was when I kind of realized that, you know, that I was an addict because, you know, my thing was always, you know, marijuana, you know, was my, my very first love. And as soon as I discovered opiates, it was, you know, one form or another of those. Right. And I didn't like Xanax. I did never abuse them. Um, and as soon as that was introduced, right, it was the substitution. And, and I think that was when I kind of realized like, wait a minute, um, you know, if this can happen with something that I don't even really like, um, that, you know, maybe I am an addict. Um, so, 
I tried to commit suicide and, you know, uh, there was talk of, you know, me being 302, but I ended up going to Episcopal uh, in North Philly and they, they sent me to a treatment center called Kirkbride in West Philly. And I was sent to the, to the mental ward. Um, so I was locked in for like 35 days. Um, and they also had a, uh, a regular rehab treatment center on a different floor. So when I was in the mental ward, they offered it to me, you know, when my time was up in the mental ward, if mm-hmm. I wanted to go, you know, to the rehab, which I did. Um, so I went downstairs to the rehab and I was there for, I think, two days. Um, and, you know, somebody, I don't know if it was my roommate or somebody else had taken my clothes and put them in the corner and pissed on them. So I, I left there. Um, and I went home and, you know, I started going to, started going to AA meetings for a little bit. Um, and I had a really hard time, um, you know, relating. Um, and, you know, I was going to a few different meetings where it had, and, and listen, I'm, I'm just going to say this, right. I'm not the guy who is going to bad mouth one fellowship or another, right. At all. I'm not going to bad mouth AA, NA, CA, whatever it is, as long as it ain't KNA, right? Um, and so I'm not that guy, right? But for me, with alcohol not really being a part of my story, going to AA meetings I and having the old timers with the, you know, keep it in the bottle. And like, so that was tough for me because, um, you know, I almost yeah. felt like lying in a way, right? And I, I'll never forget, I heard a guy in a meeting say, and, and listen, you know Philly a little bit, right? So I heard a guy say, you know, uh, he went for a drink to Eighth and Pike. And, you know, that's in North Philly. That's in the open air drug market at that time. And I remember hearing him say that. And it was like, you know, I, I know what you're saying, right? Um, we all know what you're saying. You don't have to go, you know, to to an open air drug market to get a drink. So we know what you're talking about. And I just, I just didn't feel comfortable really. And that's that's the group's problem. It's it's and it's like I I'm part of both fellowships, right? You know, like I literally r- facilitate meetings for both. Um <clears throat> so but the problem is with both fellowships is sometimes the group can get, you know, holier than thou. The book literally calls them bleeding deacons you know, where they think they know all these rules. However, if you actually look at the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they Bill and Bob talk about barbiturates. Yes. They talk about benzos. They literally talk about acid, talk about all these other things. So, you know, it's almost like they're also the same people that get upset if people say recovered. Now, I don't say recovered because I don't feel that I am. But right. I know, but I know people that are, are confident enough to say that they are recovered, and the big book says the word recovered seventeen times. So you know, if you're gonna pick and choose, you know, there's a fine line to walk. So it's unfortunate because I felt that pain, right? I got sober in California. I went all the way to L.A. for treatment. So out there, they were completely okay with me talking about. They were very used to me being very candid in AA meetings about my drug use. Like it was like par for course in Los Angeles that if you're in AA, you're going to hear a lot of drug stories too. So right. every it was expected. Everyone knew what it was. And you can say addict, you can say alcoholic, it didn't matter. 
So cut to I come back now and now I'm in Hershey, such a conservative area. <clears throat> and specifically, they did not want me to say, you know, pills. So but I did not want to work a non-honest program. And I felt extremely uncomfortable with saying that I used to drive from Hershey to Jersey to buy alcohol because I couldn't find any alcohol close by locally that I would have to drive to Jersey four times a week for three years, two right. hours each way because I couldn't find any alcohol closer or right. I didn't trust anybody that had the alcohol closer, you know, and, like that kind of and, shit. And, and it really I bothered me. And I, and I just went against it and I said, fuck it. I'm doing it. This is my recovery. I am going to say pills. And I just dealt with the looks that I was getting because I was getting looks for it, obviously. But I couldn't just sit there and in a right mind actually do that. Yeah, so I can completely relate with what you're saying about that, you know, and, and listen, um, you know, I know some people that are in AA today and, um, you know, it's it's not really like that as it was even 10 years ago when I, you know, first got involved with that fellowship. Um, you know, there is still some of the old timers, um, you know, that, that want to keep it in the bottle, but, um, but it's not like it used to be. And again, I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing it. Right. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of another fellowship, but, um, you know, AA is the OG, right? Like if it wasn't for AA, there wouldn't be any of the other ones. Right. So, yeah, I mean, um, let's I, be honest. And I'd love, yeah. And I love NA, but like. It's, you know, they they lifted it, <laughs> you know, it is straight up lifted like and there was and no one's trying to hide anything. They legit made chapter five, the same chapter five. Oh, yeah, like, how it works, you know, yeah. so and I appreciate that because it should be because it, it is a good system. It Absolutely. Works. Yeah. And, you, and work for it. Me, you know, for me, if if it's saving lives, right, like, I you know, and I know I said, you know, and, you know, for anybody who's you know, not from, you know, Philly or familiar with Philly. Like, we you know, when I say A-A-N-A-C-A, as long as it ain't K-N-A, right? K-N-A is Kensington and Allegheny. And I'm sure, you know, if if you're in this life, you've heard of Kensington in Philadelphia. It's, you know, uh, the, the biggest open-air drug market on the East Coast, um, you know, number one in overdoses and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, the show Intervention did an entire six-part series about Kensington. Um so, you know, that's just kind of like one of those jokes that we say around here, right? Um, and I'm not, you know, listen, I, I know guys that are in, you know, either one of those, either one of the two fellowships that kind of, you know, talk trash about the other, but I'm never going to be that guy, right? Um, I know people in both fellowships. I know both fellowships save lives. Um, just for me personally, you know, I, I don't, it's hard for me personally, this addict to relate in AA, but that's just me, right? Yeah, and um, again, because you didn't really drink, because exactly. at least I can I can look back and be like, no, I'm an alcoholic, because right. I can see where my drinking changed at 12 years old to fun to alcoholically, and yeah. I can follow that line of my teenage years of my hardcore. I was at the hospital at 16 for alcohol poisoning. You know right. what I mean? Like I can follow that along senior year that timeline we drank for like 70 straight nights at one point like school nights and everything to try to break a challenge you know yeah. like the timeline continues and then 21 literally was at the bar five six nights a week while i was 21 turned 22 it was like i'm tired of drinking need to find something else boom i find pills 
and yeah. I don't drink as much because the pills are my new drink. But right. I use the pills in the exact same way I use the drink, but I didn't know that until I got completely sober and worked the steps and started piecing stuff together. I did therapy. I talked to people. I did ret- I started looking at myself. This is the shit you got to do when you stop drinking and using is now you got to go back and look. You got to see where did this start? Where did it come from? So I don't do it again. That's why we learn about history in schools so we don't repeat it. So yeah. we need to go back through our drug history. Why did I do that? How did I do that? What was the cause? What was the trigger? All of that. It's so important to do if you want to work an honest program. Like you said, it's why it's working this time and not the others. Because the others, you had times where you were going into fellowships and feeling like you didn't belong. And when you feel like you don't belong, you feel like you did before. And that's why you started using it in the first place. Right, right. Um. Yeah. So you know, like I said, I I, I went back a little bit. And then I you know I went away to treatment again in fifteen. Um. Went to a, a treatment facility. I did like forty five days inpatient. And the place that I went, they have uh. So they have three floors. Um. It's like right on the edge of of Northeast Philadelphia. It's called Self Help. Um. And it's like one of the one of the best places you know in Philadelphia. In my was it for fat and all this time. Um, so yeah, in 15, yeah, in 15, I, um, you know, after that first experience, like I said, I came home, I started going to AA meetings and then, you know, I was using, uh, before going to the meetings or I would say I was going to a meeting and I was going and using, um, and then 15, it just kind of, you know, right back to, you know, same old thing. And, uh, you know, I was with, with the fentanyl and I had also, uh, picked up Adderall at that time. Um, so, you know, that time I actually just went myself, right? I said, look, you know, look, this is getting, you know, way too out of hand. Um, it's time to, you know, give this another shot, you know, give this, you know, treatment thing another shot. Um, so I went to Kensington Detox, uh, went there for a couple of days and they sent me to this place, self-help. Um, and at self-help, they have three floors. So they have first floors like inpatient Second floor is a halfway house, and the third floor is almost like a recovery house setting. Um, you pay to live there, you know, weekly tests, uh, uh, randoms, um, you know, but you can go to work and, and all that stuff, right? So um, I went in 15. They, they they sent me to this inpatient rehab. I spent like 45 days there. Um, they approved me. My, the, my insurance approved me to go to the halfway house, which is an automatic 90-day approval. Um, so you go up to the second floor and you can go out to work and stuff like that. And you're up there for 90 days. And I was upstairs for six hours and I started taking pictures of, you know, the dirty bathroom and this tiny room I'm living in and I'm texting them to my girl and I dope fiend my way right out the door. Um, I went home and I maybe lasted a week. Um, and you know, like I said before, like for me, it always starts with weed, right? It always starts with a blunt for me. Um, so, you know, I started smoking and that leads me right back to my drug of choice and right back to the bullshit. Um, so the end of 2016, um, was, was one of the worst times. Um, I had lost literally everything at that point, right? Um, you know, the girl, the job, the everything. And I was, you know, essentially at that time I was, you know, just kind of uh, out of options. And um, I 
was calling Kensington Detox. I was at my dad's apartment living there, um, you know, with nothing except for a couple bags of clothes. Um, I was calling the detox like every day for a couple of days until a bed opened up and I went. Um, and I, you know, I asked my counselor to get sent back to the same rehab again. And I went back to self-help, um, did like 35 days of inpatient, got approved for the second floor again. Went up to the halfway house. I did my 90 days in the halfway house. I went back to work. I started going to NA, started going to NA meetings. I mean, it's kind of cats out of the bag at this point, right? Yeah. Um, so I start. I mean, and it's know. okay. And I've and I we've I, I have 60 some episodes, and it's been discussed, you know, a couple dozen times. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, but always respectful. Like, and whenever it's not been respectful, it's not been mentioned. It's just been, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I started going to that fellowship um, and, you know, I, I, I got a sponsor that I wasn't really using, you know, the, the way I should have been at the time, but I did get one. But, you know, I did get a home group. Um, I was making a lot of meetings, you know, like five, four or five, six meetings a week. Um, you know, I, me and this guy, we had went through inpatient together and the halfway house together. We started working together. Um, you know, me and him, you know, we're, we're, we're together basically all the time. So we were making meetings together. We were meetings together. Yeah. Um, so then after the halfway house, after my 90 days was up, um, you know, I, I went to go move into the third floor, like I said, which was kind of like a recovery house. So I was up there for about two months and, you know, I'm playing the, the, the dating sites, right. I'm playing the, the plenty of fish and the Tinder and all that stuff. Right. Um, so I'm on plenty of fish one night and I see a girl on there that I dated like 20 years ago. Um, and just happened to see her on there. And it was like, well, you know, got to send her a message just to say, hi, send her a message. We start talking and, you know, we end up going out to on a date and, you know, we start dating. Right. Um, so that was when I moved to Jersey. So I moved to Jersey to the end of 2017. Um, I ended up moving over there. Now, again, like I said, I was eight miles away from where I grew up. Right. I was eight miles away from Philly. I was just over the bridge and I never came back to this side of the bridge to make a meeting. I basically stopped talking to my sponsor. Um, I lost touch with all the people that I had, you know, had, had gained friendships with in that fellowship on, on, you know, on the Philly side of the bridge. Right. Um, went to a couple of meetings over there in Jersey. But again, that's where I was white knuckling it. Right. Um, people so, forget, people don't realize unless you've grown up like it's a far ride from Mount Ephraim to South to like even to go if I wanted to go to get a cheesesteak the closest places to me you know where I grew up in Mount Ephraim in Audubon <clears throat> which is literally right over the bridge you know what I mean like I grew up in Audubon Park which I could see the entrance for the Walt Whitman you know, off the Black Horse Pike by where I where I grew up. Yeah. So it's close, but like in Jersey, nothing's fucking close. Right. Everything is close, but nothing's close. Right. You know, I lived in a one square mile town. It might take me 10 minutes to drive from one place to another in town because yeah. of the traffic lights, the stoplights, all the other cars in this congested area. So yeah. for me to go the six, seven miles from where I lived over the Walt Whitman and park over at a, even a Flyers game, it should be seven, eight minutes, 10 tops with no traffic, middle of the night, 
you can get from where I grew up over to where the stadiums are, right? But 6 p.m. game time. Yeah. No. Half hour, three minutes. 45, yeah, easy. Except for, uh, honestly, though, the easiest time to go across that bridge, surprisingly, was during the parade. When the Phillies won the World Series in 2008, um everybody was taking the speed line over to the parade from yeah. where I lived and everyone would go to Collinswood or Haddon Township that from where I lived. And, um, the lines we pulled in, man, I think it was Westmont. We pulled up to, and the line was just like going down blocks, you know, and we're like, fuck that. I was like, I I'll just drive guys. Like I won't drink and I'll drive and I'll just, I'll make up for it later today. Because right. I had just started getting into pills a week before that. Okay. Literally a week before that is when I discovered pills, to be honest with you, like blues. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I was like, I'll just drive. It was the easiest drive in the world. My buddy <laughs> lived over by Penrose Diner. And we were parked okay. over at Penrose Diner within 15 minutes, like, by at his house. Yeah. So it ended up working out. Everybody was on the speed line. And... Nobody was taking the bridge. Everybody thought so. It worked out for us that day. But besides that, like it's not that easy. So you catching a meeting eight miles away, it would be easier for you to drive forty minutes in Jersey than go over and deal with the, especially the Tacony Palmyra Bridge. It's it's way more of a pain in the dick than Walt Whitman is. Absolutely. So and you, and you're not even near anything up at that point. Uh, as opposed to you are, but you aren't compared right. to the Walt Whitman. You're around everything right away. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's not as convenient as it sounds. It does on paper. It's like, oh, eight miles. This is going to be easy as hell. Yeah, on right. Paper, but not when you actually have to get behind the wheel. You're like, fuck doing that. <laughs> so, no, I get it, man. I get it. It's not as easy. You know, they always say people in Philly always joke that they lose everybody to Jersey because once they go over that bridge and settle down over in Jersey, they don't come back across the bridge. They yeah. got the shore already on this side of the bridge anyway. They, what do they got to cross for? Right. We got good cheesesteaks in Jersey, bro. <laughs> like, I, I prefer this, some of the cheesesteaks in Jersey over some of the ones in – like the Genos and Pats don't hold a candle to some of my places in Jersey. We, I have this talk all the time, um, you know, especially for people like, you know, for me, for guys like me and you, like we're from the area. We know. Right. We get and, and we're big dudes. So we get asked, man. We're not we're not like some shrimpy dudes from Philly. So they ask us. Right. You right. know, they know that we right. know <laughs> they know that this wasn't brought on by salad works. Right. That's <laughs> for tourists. You yeah. know what I mean? That's that's not, you know, Pats most is convenient for me at 3 a.m. high. And exactly. nothing else is open, and I want a cheesesteak, and a diner won't do it. The diner's cheesesteaks are garbage, so that's yeah. when you go to Pat's. It's 3 a.m., 4 a.m., because you're not going to get one from the fucking diner. The rolls are going to be shitty. The rolls <laughs> won't be fresh. Pat's will, you know, because it's all about the roll. And that's what the difference really was, too, is that oh, roll yeah. and how they Absolutely. put the cheese on. But either yeah. way, now we're off on a fat boy tangent. Yeah. Let's get back. It's <laughs> lunchtime. That's what it is. All yeah, right. right. So now you're white knuckle in that shit in Jersey, right? For two years. So I moved, yeah, I moved to Jersey and I ended up having like 26 months clean, um, but strictly white knuckle in it. Um, so, you know, I, I got a job, uh, you know, me and, and my girlfriend had an apartment, um, you know, things were decent, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I was still a maniac in a lot of ways, right? I was angry, um, 
and you know, but it, things were okay. Um, and when you're white knuckling it, like, are you even aware in your mind that you were a drug addict at one point? Yes. At okay. That point, okay. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I knew it. I didn't fully understand, um, you know, what recovery or recovering meant, mm-hmm. but I, I knew full well that I was an addict. And you weren't uh, doing this right, though. You knew that, like, you could probably be doing this better. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, and so in July of 2019, um, you know, I was at work, I come home and, uh, you know, my, I say hello, I, you know, I come home from work, I say hello to my girlfriend, she's sitting in bed and, you know, I said, look, I'm gonna jump in the shower. Um, I go in the bathroom and when I come out, um, she was sitting Indian style in the bed and she was like slumped over. Um, and you know, I go and, you know, I coached football and basketball. So I'd been, um, you know, I'd been certified for CPR a couple different times. Um, and she's not breathing. Right. So, uh, I pull her down off the bed, um, and I start doing CPR and, uh, you know, the ambulance came, they took her to the hospital and she had a brain aneurysm at 39 years old. Um, and so she, you know, this is, uh, this is on <clears throat> July 19th of 2019. So uh, we go, we take her, you know, she goes to the hospital. Uh, I call her parents and her sister. They come um, and the doctor tells us that, you know, she's going to be a vegetable, essentially. Um, she has no brain function. Um, she went, you know, entirely too long with no oxygen to her brain. And that, you know, the decision has to be made, basically, of her being kept alive on life support or pulling the plug. Um, and she had said to me and to her sister at different times, cause the same thing happened to her grandmother. Um, so she had said to me and to her sister at different times, she wouldn't want to be, she wouldn't want to live that way. Right. So, um, you know, ultimately the decision was her parents and they made a decision to pull the plug. Um, so the next day, uh, in the afternoon, they, they pulled the plug on her and, and she passed within a few minutes. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's not, it's never, you. you know, and I, I've uh, lost a fiance, you know, to suicide I, and to lose anybody is never, <clears throat> you know, an easy thing. But I, you know, not exactly know what you feel, but, you know, right. I definitely know what it's like to lose that loved one, especially suddenly, right. you know, one day they're there and one day they're not. And, you know, it is not easy. And I, I, I spiraled. So. Same. It sounds like you did because your clean date is six months later. Right. And that was, so I, you know, look, I had no, um, you had no program you know, to fall back on. You had no support system. You had all. nothing, I had no you know, program. I did not know. How, it was really the first thing, um, you know, with any kind of impact that had happened up to that point, you know, anything really bad that had happened. And when it happened, I, like you said, I had no support system. Um, I had no program to fall back. I had no, nothing, right? Um, so the day of her funeral, um, the guy that I worked with lived like on the same block as me and uh, he smoked and he knew that I was, you know, I was clean and sober, right? Um, so I went over his house and his, his wife had made me like some food and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, look, I'm not trying to kick you out, but you know, 
I'm going to smoke this. And, you know, and, and I said, you know, can I hit it? Can I smoke it with you? And he was like, you know, are you sure you can do that? And he doesn't, you know, he didn't know anything. Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And I smoked with him and went home and I was on the phone, you know, going through Facebook because I deleted all my contacts and gotten a new phone number. And I was going through, you know, this person to that person, to this person, to that person through Seven Facebook. Seven degrees of drug dealers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and next thing you know, I'd found a guy, uh, in, in center city, like 13th and spruce, um, that was selling thirties. Right. And, uh, so like you said, right in that, that like six month period, um, you know, lost the job, crashed the car, caught a DUI, got evicted from the apartment, um, had two overdoses, um, you know, all very, very quickly. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm a sneakerhead, right? So I had, you know, in those 26 months, I had accumulated, you know, uh, some sneakers and, you know, I was selling them. I mean, look, you know, everything must go, right? Yep. Um, so I was, you know, selling anything that had any type of value to it. I always um, joked and- that I was a minimalist, but really it's because I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the sheriff came to the door. Um, and you know, the funny thing was I was living above a deli, not funny, but funny now. Right. Um, I was living above a deli and the guy who, who he, he owned the entire building. Right. Um, yeah. so he was working the deli every day and, you know, I didn't pay him rent in like two months and I'm tiptoeing around the apartment. So he doesn't know that I'm up there. And, you know, it was, it was just crazy. Right. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, I was, you know, even after I crashed the car, right. I'm, I'm hopping on the river line going down to Camden and either copping there or, or taking the Paco across the bridge and, and grabbing from this guy down at 13th, 13th and Spruce. And um, so, you know, I go to grab a couple of thirties off of them and uh, I get back on the Paco and I come back on the river line, excuse me. And I, I go, you know, I go in, brush up two of them, bang them out. And I passed out for like four hours. I woke up with, blood coming out of my nose and, you know, felt like I got beat up. And, you know, I really had no idea because at this point, you know, I'm only, you know, I'm two years away from everything and anything that really has to do with drugs. And I really didn't know, like I was truly ignorant to, you know, everything that was going on at that point. And, you, you know, sniff fentanyl. And before, before exactly. when you started with fentanyl, you were building a tolerance to it. You were starting with small globs of the gel you were doing the patches at a time. Right. You literally were building a tolerance to fentanyl, and then you got clean. And yes. then anything that you were going to put in you that was fentanyl the first time, if it was substantial like it was, because it sounds like yeah. you had Fetty Lace 30s, That's exactly. that you're just going to be just, like, fucking floored. Yeah. Um. So I remember I woke up and I was like, you know, what happened? You know, like two thirties, you know, even two years removed from everything, two thirties is not going to do this to me. Right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I had, I had bought five. So I pulled out the other ones and like, I'm going like this and you know, the residue is coming off of my fingers and I'm like, thirties don't do that. Right. I've been doing these long enough to know. And I start, you know, Googling stuff and I'm looking stuff up and I'm like, you know, these are fake, they're pressed. And I, I had really, like I said, I really had no idea that that was even a thing at that point. Right. Um, but of course I ran those other three, you know what I mean? But I just did it safe. Right. I would do half. You did them like half at a time. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, I continued, I never said anything to that dude. And I continued going back to him because I was getting more bang for my buck. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, um, lost everything, uh, ended up in a hotel or I'm sorry, motel, uh, along one thirty. Um, and, uh, you were probably with my buddy that I was talking to earlier. <laughs> he was uh, at Hillside. Yeah. He was, at, uh, I think it was Hillside over in, um, right by 70 in Cherry Hill. So I was right by like one thirty and 73, um, like kind of like Cinnaminson area. Yep. Yeah. You're not far from me at all. 10 minutes tops from my area. Um, so, uh, you know, again, and then, um, you know, it, it got down to the point again, you know, other things, you know, some other things happened and then I ended up back at the, you know, at, at the trauma center, um, you know, telling them that I attempted to hurt myself. Right. Um, and they sent me, you know, sent me to a rehab, um, and then when I went to the rehab for inpatient now, you know, I get there and I'm in West Philly in a rehab and it's, you know, towards the end of February of 2020 and, and COVID hit. Right. Um, you know, I was literally in rehab when the first person in the United States, you know, had COVID. Right. Um, so everything shut down, right. There was no meetings coming in from the outside. We weren't really having small groups. Everybody had to wear their yeah. masks. And I mean, it was really crazy. Right. Um, and then. I begged my counselor to go back to the rehab that I had been at before self-help because, um, you know, and I, I, it probably sounds like I'm, I'm doing a commercial for them. Right. But, um, at the end of the day, it's not the, the, the building, right. It's the people that work there. Everybody from the clinical director all the way down to the janitors in that place are in recovery and they're either in one, you know, one fellowship or another. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the thing that was different about that place. You know, the counselors, the clinical directors, the techs, everybody in there, you know, 98% of the people that work there are in recovery. So they, they really get it on a different level. Right. So I begged to go back there. Um, and I moved from the, the place in West Philly to inpatient and I moved straight to the halfway house uh, of self-help on April 1st. And that almost didn't happen because of COVID. Um, so they're probably taking less patients and shit, right? And they weren't, you know, doubling yeah. up the rooms and all that stuff. So I went there um, and everything was on Zoom at that point. Right. No, neither. None of the fellowships were open in person. Um, there was a handful of meeting of AA meetings in the city that were open, like on the hush hush. Right. Um, but for, you know, for for the other fellowships, like nothing was really open. So I jumped in on Zoom um, and, you know, I, I, it took me a couple of weeks to get back to work and, you know, but I had a phone and I could do Zoom, right? And I jumped right back into Zoom and then, you know, slowly but surely the meeting started opening back up and, you know, I started going to them and I got a sponsor and I got a home group and I got involved, right? Um, and like I said, this time w was a lot different um, because of those reasons, right? And the times before... Um, I, I've always been very closed off and I build walls. Um, you know, I was abused by my mother, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, sexually as a, as a child. So I build walls to people and I keep everybody at arm's length. And I knew that that was something that was going to have to really change this time around if I was going to get better. Exactly. Um, you got to do it so, different. Yeah. So I did, I, I did a lot of things different. Um, and then, you know, it came the time when my 90 days was up in the halfway house and my counselor said, listen, because of COVID, you know, moving to the third floor, like to the recovery house is not really an option right now. Uh, so we've got to look for something else. Right. 
And, you know, I was going to move into a recovery house and, um, you know, but uh, luckily a friend of mine at the time said, hey, you know, you come stay in our basement for for a little while. Um, so that was what I did. Right. I, I moved in there um, and, you know, I, I was working and, you know, and then subsequently I've gotten another job, you know, a better job. Um, I met my fiance. Um, so, you know, we started dating, uh, listen, you know, I didn't follow the, the suggestion of waiting a year, right. It was about nine months or so, I guess, uh, we started dating and, uh, got engaged a few months back. Um, and she's amazing. You almost right? made it. Yeah. It, you, yeah, man. Right. And, and well, the thing is though, the difference is you, when you know, you know, like when you've been there before, I think that rule is really important for people in their twenties. You know, that have never been in love before, that have never really been in relationships before, that don't understand what it is to know what love is sober before. Because that's the thing. You yeah. you don't don't tell me that you've been in a serious relationship and it's only been with one person and it was you broke drug addicts together. Right. And so you know what love is. It's it, You're going to feel it differently sober, so you're going to understand it differently too. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's impossible to love a drug addict and for you both to get along being sober and getting drunk together. I've seen amazing success stories of people who were using together, got sober and are happily married together sober. Um, but there, there are a lot of people that doesn't work out for. And even those people will tell you, don't do what they did. You know, there's a lot of people that will say that. Um, I, when I met my wife, I know, cause like I said, I lost my fiance who was my childhood best friend. And it was sudden, and I spiraled also. Um, and I met her at 11 months <laughs> sober. Okay. And um, I refused to get serious with her or even say we were dating until I had my one year. And she knew that right off the jump. You know, we said I love you the first night we hung out this, at the same time almost. Um, but I proposed to her when I got back from my one-year anniversary. Nice. And so we went from like fuck buddies to engaged real fast. <laughs> um, but again, I was in my mid thirties. I had already been in love before I had been dating and I wasn't the first person I had dated. You know what I mean? It was like uh, many others I'd tried to date and see how it worked out. And at one point I even like hooked up with this girl and I dated her for a while. And I even said to my friend time, like, I don't know what the fuck's going on because she's not the one. Like, I'm forcing it right now, you mm-hmm. know, and I felt like that a lot that I was just like forcing it because I should be happy in this because I'm a nice guy. So they're happy, but they're not for me. We're not the same. And the minute I knew that my wife right now is the one for me is we were hanging out and mm-hmm. I'm a very loner kind of person. Very um, uh, what's independent. I always has those a kid. Just sit me in front of the TV for hours, not going to hear a peep out of me, and I'll be happy. Um, and so I realized when I was hanging out with her, and I was completely comfortable, and I felt like I was alone kind of comfortable, but I wasn't. That's how I knew she was the one, is that I could spend 12 hours with her and not mm-hmm. feel like I was spending 12 hours entertaining somebody. I more or less felt like I was in my own space of my own headspace of comfortability, like I'm alone, but with her. And that's how I knew that, okay, she's somebody I can spend every day, every fucking night with. 
And eventually I started drinking again and it had nothing to do with her, but we both quit together on 229. You know, you were nine days in and we woke up hungover on leap day that Saturday. I drank a bottle of Jack the night before and I was like, I shouldn't have drank that bottle. I'm fucking done. Like, and I quit drinking again. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I still haven't touched an opiate or an, an Roxy or anything in three and a half years. But I had that nine month, you know, binge, not even a binge because I never even got in trouble. It wasn't a bad, re- like, I was just drinking to go to comedy clubs and shit and going to pool part, nothing crazy. And then the one night I drank a bottle and I'm like, fuck this is I'm heading down that I'm yeah. I'm going down the road. Here right. I come. I got to right. get off that train before it hits there. So, yeah. um I I'm so glad you're doing so much better, man. Like, you know, I'm so glad that you're working a program this time cuz you. you, you're doing things differently and it definitely you can tell even in the words that you say that, you know, you're buying in on yourself. You know what I mean? And you're working yeah. on it. Yeah. So like that's I mean, that's awesome. Anybody that's listening or watching this is going to say, oh yeah, he's definitely working a program, like just <laughs> from like even words that you say and just your confidence in what you're doing. Like, you know, we have the same amount of time, but all we have is today, really. You know, absolutely. yeah, we have the same amount of time, nine days, or whatever. But really, that's all we have is today. You absolutely. know, we lived addiction one minute at a time. You know, how many times did you pick up some pills and you're like, I could really space these out over the week, like oh a bolt. You're like, I could space these out. And then and then you start doing them and you're like, you know what? That's tomorrow me's problem. I'm going to do them all now. Absolutely. You know, yeah. <laughs> so we oh, literally that's... lived our addiction one minute at a time. So we yeah. should be living this one minute at a time, too. So yeah. but it was awesome chatting with the man, getting to know you and definitely probably come back on again, chat some more, too. Thanks, so, really thank you it. so much, man. And and what you're doing is really awesome. Thanks, um, I've dude. Watch just about every one of your YouTube videos. You know, I follow you on TikTok. Um, and, and what you're doing is really amazing. And and uh, you know, keep up the great work, brother. You know, we 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 appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I love doing this. This is how I stay sober. You know, if people don't come to meetings, sometimes this is my meeting. You right. know, this is my way. That's why it's not. That's why my podcast isn't like, hey, talk for an hour and tell your story and I'll shut up. Like, no, I want to talk to you. I want to interact. I want to do cross talk. I want to interrupt you. I think, that's, I think that's one of the really cool parts about it because, you know, when we first connected and, and you told me about the podcast and everything, um, you know, I went and watched the first one and it was like, that was almost what I expected, right? I almost just expected like a very much like an interview type thing. Like you were just going to sit there and be like, so, you know, well, what happened after that? And then when I saw the interaction of it, right? It's two addicts just talking, right? And and I think that's really awesome because it's not just interview, interviewee. And I think that's, you know, part of what makes it that much even better. So, yeah. yeah. Keep- I don't, yeah, there's no format, bro. Like we hop on and wherever we start at, we start. There's some people we start at where they got sober. And then it's always got Tarantino movie. We start at where they got sober and then we jump back to where it started then we jump to this and we're going back and forth and it's a conversation. I write some notes down here and there to ask you like, Oh, ask about that or whatever. He said that word, mention that shit like that. But like, no, no, I want to have a conversation and just get to know somebody. You know, I I wouldn't want to be listening to a podcast of now this, now that like, and this, no, I want to hear a conversation. I want to feel like I'm part of a conversation and just listening in. So thanks again. And that's exactly what this was. We're just two people talking, you know, we're from the same area. 
So yeah. it's you know, it just it was a lot more fun that way too. We could make a lot more references that we would understand. <laughs> right. So um but thanks again, man. I appreciate your time. Thank Have a you. great weekend. Thank you. Thanks. See you, you later, too. bud. Bye bye.